Kylie. I'm part of the team here at One Heart. Uh, I just want to say a very special uh, welcome and point out and shout out to Rose who turned 80 this week. Let's give her a round of applause. There she is. Come on. <laughs> we love you, Rose. And, and to all of Rose's family who have come from far and wide, WI, and thanks to be here as well. It's great to have you guys here. Um, and how, how awesome and special to um, have an 80th birthday. Rose, you don't look a day over mm, 29, 30 maybe. <laughs> 30 maybe. <laughs> Certainly you have more energy. I hope I have your energy when I'm 80. Um, and we've got other visitors here as well, uh, so welcome to you if you're visiting One Heart. We hope that you have a really great day. Uh, Pastor Rob and Pastor Pauline are away at a family wedding in um, Adelaide, uh, so keep them in your prayers and for safe journeys. So as, um, as Christians, we believe that Jesus died on the cross, that at some point before six o'clock at night on that first Friday, that first Good Friday, when Jesus breathed his last and he died, he said, it is finished, it is done. And then he breathed his last breath and then he died. We believe that everything in the universe changed at that moment. Everything in the universe, that somehow it set off like this shockwave that reverberated all the way back through all of time and history and all the way forward through all of time and history. Before I was a Christian, I used to say, what is Jesus dying on a cross like in another country way back then got to do with me? How can it possibly affect me? Has anyone ever wondered that? Some guy dies in another country. What's that got to do with me? But as Christians, we believe that God did something in the spiritual realm or world that affects everything that is seen and everything that is unseen, and every person who's ever come in the past, and every person who's ever to be born in the future, that the cross is this climax of everything changes in the whole universe. That's what we want to look at today. And so the cross has so much meaning and richness and fullness that really our words just fail. We, we never going to have the words. That's why Paul says, I've got no clever speech about the cross. But we can know the power of the cross. The power of the cross has changed my life. It's changed the universe. And I hope today that we can begin to consider what it means and, and let it change our lives. So throughout the ages, the church Christians have tried to explain why did Jesus die? And what does that mean to us now, so far removed from the cross? So in around 150, the year 150 to 200, uh, when slavery was around in their culture, they talked about the cross in terms of Jesus is our ransom. He rescued us from slavery. So they had slaves in their culture and they knew the only way to free a slave is if somebody would buy the slave and then they could free them. So they paid the price for the slave, and then the slave could be set free. And the church said, well, Jesus on the cross, see, sin enslaves us, and then Jesus paid with his life 
the price to buy us, and then he sets us free, that his very life sets us free. So why did Jesus die on the cross? That's one way to think about it. And isn't that a little bit how Jesus told us himself? Because think about this. The Bible makes it clear right from the very, very beginning that God knew that Jesus would go to the cross. God had all of time and history to choose where Jesus would die. Jesus makes it clear he chose to give his life. Nobody took it from me, he said. I choose to lay it down. So he had all of time and history to say, this is the point where I will lay down my life for you. And there's lots of Jewish festivals, lots of Jewish feasts, uh, feast days. And there's one called the Feast of Atonement. They call it Yom Kippur. And that would have been really theologically tidy if he had have died on the Feast of Atonement. Atonement means reconciliation. They literally would kill these animals, and one is called the scapegoat. They laid the sins on it, and then they sent it out so their sins were far away from them. And the other goat they would kill and put the blood on the altar for their forgiveness of their sins. And so it makes a lot of sense. It's very tidy if, we, if Jesus had chosen to die on the atonement, and we go, oh, that's because it's all about just forgiveness, and he takes away our sins. Wouldn't that make sense? And yet Jesus chose not to die on the Feast of Atonement. He chose the feast of the Passover. And the Passover is where they remembered that they had been slaves in Egypt for generation after generation. And God heard their cry. He heard their groans. He heard them crying out to him. And he rescued them. He drew them out. He called them out of slavery. That is the feast, the Passover feast where Jesus chose to die on the cross. His own metaphor to us, if you will, that the cross means he's calling us out of that slavery to sin, the things that just tie us up in knots in the world. He calls us out of that and into freedom. So that made a lot of sense to these very early Christians and hopefully to us, even though we don't have slaves in our culture in the same way. But around the 1500s, in England, you know, now they've got like the, the legal system. They've got courts and judges and things. And maybe you've heard this um, kind of metaphor yourselves. started around the 1500s. Uh, and it's to do with God taking away the legal punishment that's due to us. So the idea is that God is the judge. God the Father is the judge. And he's a good judge because God is good and God is just and who else could be a judge apart from God who sees all things and sees into our hearts as well as the actions, you know, he sees our intentions. So God our Father is the good judge. Jesus is our, uh, our lawyer. And then there's us at the courtroom. And the devil is our accuser. That's how the devil's talked about throughout the Bible, the accuser. And somehow in this divine courtroom, it turns out everything that I'm accused of, I am guilty of. Uh, none of it is a lie, and it turns out that I'm guilty of breaking God's laws. So around this 1500s, they started saying, you know, it's not just that we were victims and God saved us from sin. He paid for his, on the cross with his own life. That's true, but it's not just that someone kidnapped us. We went willingly into sin. We willingly break God's laws. We willingly hurt others and hurt ourselves and 
and do the wrong thing. So the first one is true, God saves us. But the second one is also true, that that we willingly turn away from God and break his laws. So we end up in this courtroom drama and it turns out what the devil's accusing me of, I'm, I'm guilty, I've got no... I've got no way around it. And the sentence is clear that my punishment is separation from God, who's all holy and all good. And my punishment is uh, death, separation from God. And then Jesus steps in, my lawyer, and he says, even though there's guilt here and even though the punishment is to be sent away from God, the punishment is death, I'll take that death. I'll take the punishment for that sin. And so, have you heard that, that sort of idea before? So there's this idea that, that Jesus takes away the debt, the legal demand against us. In Colossians chapter 2, it says, He forgives our sins. He cancels the record against us and all its legal demands. He nailed it to the cross. It doesn't just disappear. Otherwise, God isn't just. People say, how can God judge me? If he's all good, he's all good, and I'm all good, and everything's good. He'll just forgive me. But we know that's patently not true. We always use the example of Hitler. How can God be good if he says, Hitler is okay. Come on in. Everything's forgiven. God is just. He's the God of justice. You know, my husband, Mike, if somebody hurt our daughters, and he was like, oh, that's okay then you'd go, what kind of dad is he? But my husband would, unfortunately, he's not a born-again Christian yet, he would hunt them down and kill them. You'd see it on the news, and I'd know at least he's a good dad for the rest of his life in prison. Because justice, you know it's true, girls. Keep safe or I won't have a husband anymore. So justice is, is good, right? And he's a good father because he's just. But where do we draw the line is the question because don't we think he should just do justice to other people but certainly not me because I meant well apart from those few times when I just genuinely didn't like them or hated them or was angry but I meant well in these other times so let's not talk about that one God. But then he isn't just. So God gave laws and we broke them. And there's no way for God to be good and just and just wipe them out. He can't change his character. His justice is good about him. He's a good father. And so Jesus says, I'll take this punishment. I'll take this sentence. I fulfill that sentence. And the legal debt that you held is gone now. Not that it was just wiped away and gone and nothing. Jesus nailed it to the cross, the scripture says. The legal demands against us, he nailed it to the cross. So there's all these different metaphors to talk about the cross, but it's always to do with God's love, God's love for us. It's not, some people hear that story that I just told about the um, courtroom and they say, oh, God the Father like sent his son at some sort of weird divine child abuse. And there's all these feminists who write big doctorates about it and, and get it all twisty. But um, it's a metaphor. You know, sometimes we say it's raining cats and dogs, but no one's calling the RSPCA. It's just a metaphor. It means it's raining noisy, right? We say God is our rock, but no one thinks God is a round gray slab. We mean God is strong. He's our firm foundation. He's 
he's um, unshaken. So it's a metaphor, this courtroom drama that we talk about. But it's always in the context of God's love, God the Father and Jesus' love for us. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for all. The cross is a sign of how far God is willing to go to show you that he loves you. His unbelievable extravagance of generosity. He gives everything, this prince of heaven, he gives to us. Like God really loves you. He just flat out loves you. We look to the cross and we don't see condemnation. We see God loves you. He likes you. Is that more than love? He just really, really likes you. He's pleased with you. He just, this is while we were still sinners, he chose to give his life for us. And so the cross is this, it's also this reconciliation between heaven and earth. That in our frailty and brokenness and in our sin, in our sickness, in our lives, touched or broken by evil, we have to, we don't have to, you know, wonder where God is in all of this, in our suffering. We just look right to our side. And Jesus, our brother, is right there with us. We look to Jesus on the cross and he says, me too. I've lived a life touched and broken by evil. I'm right here in this with you. But he rose again and he can show us the way out of it or through it. We say, where is God when I'm suffering? What does the Bible say? He is our ever-present help in times of trouble. Where is he? He's in it, right there with us. He's in it. The cross is a sign that God loves us so much and he embraces us so fully. He comes so much into our life that he even embraces our frailty to the point of death all the way. And, of course, the cross has uh, cultural and political uh, meaning as well, cultural and political context, because um, the cross is true. The crucifix is true. It was a torture an, uh, a torture device, an instrument of Roman oppression and humiliation. I've never seen that movie Spartacus, but I know that Spartacus is real. He was a guy just 70 years before Jesus was born, and he was just a slave. Uh, gladiator and a slave and he um, led this big uh, slave uprising that Rome squashed and not only did they kill the slave army they crucified them all 6,000 men they crucified along this road called the Appian Way which is a really busy really famous road which is 200 kilometers long they strung them up like every 30 meters or so and remember, no one's driving really fast. You have to walk on this road. 200 kilometers is like here to almost Wayala. It's here to almost Alistan. It's so far. And, th- and they have just have the cross after cross after cross. And people didn't die quickly. They'd, they'd last for days. And the people live under this Roman, the shadow of the cross is this like, Rome's saying, I own you. We own you. You've got no power here, right? 
Rome has all the power. You have weakness. Don't even try and change the status quo. We own you. And if you try and do anything to rise up, all you're going to get is shame. All you're going to get is humiliation. That was what the cross meant. It's a true thing. Some people say, oh, Jesus, who believes in Jesus? That's like believing in fairy tales. I've heard that a lot this year. I don't know why. But Jesus died on an actual cross. He was sentenced to death in a kangaroo court. There wasn't any legitimacy about the, the sentencing. He, he was whipped and mocked, and then they made him bleeding and exhausted. They made him carry his own cross up to this place called the um, Mount of the Skull, what, Hill of the Skull. And then they nailed him to the cross, and he was crucified. For several hours, he hung there and he died. It's all true. This is a true man. He actually died. It wasn't a stage. It wasn't made up. He died on that cross for us. Have you ever heard, sometimes I feel like we can hear that same whisper of Rome down through the ages. It never really changes, does it? Maybe it's you know, that voice of like oppression or like, you've got no power here. Get, just don't even think about it. There's nothing here for you. We own you. Maybe it's like a doctor's report that's just so bad or that thing from your past that you just seems to block your future or that thing, that thing that you just keep promise you're not going to do again, you're not going to say again, you're not going to go there again and you just keep, no matter how hard you try and you decide and you write it down and you tell people, you just keep finding yourself there. And it's like that thing says, you've got no power here. I own you, right? It's the same voice of Rome coming down through the ages into our lives. But at the cross, Colossians 2 says, on the cross, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities in the spirit, and he put them to shame, triumphing over them in himself. He disarmed the darkness. The message Bible says he stripped them. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross. It's like we are facing down whatever it is you're facing down in your life, darkness or evil, and, and you're like, this, this just got so, it's just so powerful. I can't, how can I come against it? And Jesus steps in front of it and he says, don't you touch my child. Don't you touch my child. You're going to have to go through me first. So do your worst. And darkness, evil, sin and death, it did its worst to Jesus. As you read through the Bible, it's like the world just gets darker and darker and darker. Even at Jesus' birth, we celebrate at Christmas like it's just super happy and everything was light and bubbly. At Jesus' birth, Herod said, kill all the babies under two years old. It's just like it gets darker and darker and darker until everything kind of just climaxes on the cross. All the evil, the darkness in the world just kind of climaxes here and just to do Jesus in. But the Bible tells us that at the cross, Jesus took it all and he exhausted the powers of evil. He exhausted sin. It had to work so hard to kill him that he took the knees out of it. He disarmed it. He stripped its authority. He's taken the bullets out of the gun. He's kicked the knees out of it. He's disarmed the darkness 
that tries to come against us. Because then he rose. He's like, is that all you got? It's not enough. Death, where's your sting? It's like a bee sting. It stings, but it's not the man that dies, it's the bee. Jesus hurt, he died on that cross, but then he rose again. And it's not Jesus the man who dies, it's evil whose time is up now. So what used to hold you cannot hold you anymore. What used to control you cannot control you anymore. This is for someone today. God's going to set you free. What used to control you cannot control you anymore. It has no legal authority over you. It has no authority over you. What used to entice you cannot enslave you anymore. God takes the knees out of it. It seems so powerful, I know. It seems to have such a grip in us. But when we look to the cross, when we live in the light of the freedom of the cross, we know that it has no power over us. Of course, people still were crucified after Jesus, probably the next day. And people, you know, sin is still going to come for us and try and bully us around and make us turn away from God and turn on each other. And death is still going to come for each one of us. But it can't keep us. It doesn't get to keep us. Sin doesn't get to enslave us. And addiction doesn't get to own us. Those things don't have their claim over us anymore. They'll tell you that they do in their loudest annoying voice. But they have no claim when we live at the foot of the cross. Because Rome thought that it was a superpower of all powers. This is what I was thinking this week. Can you imagine telling Pontius Pilate what Rome is now? Rome thought it was just the the superpower of all powers and it would exist just forever, ruling the whole world. But Rome, after a few centuries, just just kind of disappeared. Now Rome is just a city. It's, It's a tourist destination, isn't it? For Jesus... People go to Rome. I went to Rome to see the Sistine Chapel and the Vatican. Can you imagine telling Pontius Pilate, you see this man that you've just crucified and you washed your hands and you thought, well, that's that done. For centuries, the whole world is going to flock to Rome, but not to see Caesar. Caesar doesn't exist. Caesar's like a museum thing. They're going to flock to see this Jesus who you just crucified and thought you did away with on the end. They're going to flock to see paintings of Jesus. And, and hear about Jesus. So that thing in your life that seems to have a hold on you, that seems like it's so strong and powerful and it's taken over, if we live our lives and allow Jesus' cross into our lives and we carry our cross, we walk with Jesus, then he'll do just what he did with Rome. Little by little, you'll see it start, the power will just start to drain away from it. It'll just start to dissipate. And one day you'll go looking for it and it won't be there. But the space that it currently takes up in your life, the space that it used to take up, will no longer be a holding place against you. It'll be a place that God's made a testimony about him, just like he has about Rome. People go to Rome to see paintings of Jesus. People will see in that place that seems like a captive point for you now, they'll see a testimony of Jesus. They'll go, wow, look at that person. And 
and how free she is now, how free he is in that now. That has no hold on him whatsoever now. That space that seems to be taken up by something else, if you'll lay it down at the cross, God turns that very space, that very thing, into a testimony about him. And we will all be as amazed as Pontius Pilate would have. It's just amazing when God does his work, isn't it? Because outside of our strength, we can never do it by willpower. So I'd like to show you a video now. It's a modern-day metaphor of the cross. We talked about what the, um, you know, the, the Jewish Passover and the, the 1500s and the year 150. So this is a more modern one. It's got computers in it and plugs and things. And uh, it's just a couple of minutes long. And I showed this to a friend during the week, and he said, <coughs> that's what he started with. <coughs> it's good. I started to be a bit touched, but I'm too manly for that, he said. <laughs> He's here now. You know who you are. So even if you are really, really manly, which many of you are, um, I just invite you, we're going to turn the lights right down, and I'm just going to invite you to watch this with an open heart. And if you are a Christian, then just, you know, consider the cross again afresh and let it just touch you again what Jesus has done for you and how much he loves you. And how he, this, if we look to the cross and think we've been condemned, then we're not understanding it at all. It's all about how much God loves you. And if you've come here today, you know, because you're curious or because someone made you or it's just you had to because it's 10 o'clock and this is your habit or whatever, someone dragged you along, then I just invite you to watch this as well with an open heart and, uh, and just consider today about this Jesus who we say, he did this for you. After the video, we're just going to keep the lights down and uh, we're just going to pray. So um, we'll turn the lights down and we'll keep them down afterwards. Thanks. You. Look at your eyes. Look at them, speckled, colorful, each one unique, and I created every one of them. I created everything, the universe, and you. I gave you your personality. I made you pure, complex, and every day, give you life. I love you. But something happened. You cheated on me. You didn't trust me. You sinned. You cut yourself off from me. And although you're still alive, you were slowly dying. So you looked for other things. To fill the void. But nothing works. It just kills you faster. 
separates us more and more. What are you searching for? close your eyes and if you want to, if you're willing to, you can just kneel down where you are. Um, just go ahead and kneel if you want to. Lift your hands up. Close your eyes. The cross doesn't condemn us. It condemns evil. It condemns death. It condemns the sin. God condemns sin in the flesh of his son, the Bible tells us, not us. It's to save us. If there's any sin in your life right now, I just invite you to lay it down, to just pray, Jesus, you know, just tell him how much you hate it, that you want it out of your life, that you, that you don't need it anymore, that you want to give it up. Just ask him to take it out spend a moment now and receive his forgiveness like a transaction between you and if there's anything that has been holding you in your life that seemed so strong seemed to hold have a hold over you and then right now as you're sitting or kneeling as though right at the foot of the cross Maybe it's, you know, an addiction or gambling, an 
eating disorder, alcohol, drugs, maybe it's a person, maybe it's anger, anxiety, lust, pride. It seems so strong to have a hold on you, but here at the cross, we just declare that God has taken the knees out of it. God's taken the the armour, the, the bullets away from it. He's taken the power away from it. Just lay it down now at the cross. And in your weakness, let him be strong. Unite yourself with Jesus at the cross and he will walk you through to your resurrection. And if you are not a Christian and you've come here today for whatever reason, but throughout this morning, in the video or in the worship, you've just started to experience something or feel something or think something. Like Luke said, the weight of our sin or maybe the weight of God's love or maybe the hope He really can love you. Just just pray now, just talk to Jesus. Just tell Him you want what He bought you with His life on the cross. You want His forgiveness. You want to follow him. You want to let him love you. Just spend a couple of minutes. We just just pray. Just take your time. So we're kneeling right here at the cross.
Jesus. 